BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to episode 94 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Jack Rico, and if this is your first time listening to the show... Thank you for discovering us. Oh, yes, that disco music in the background. Well, the reason we're playing disco music is because I have one of two amazing guests for you today. My first guest is Matt Tiernauer. He is the director of the new documentary, Studio 54, which he calls the definitive documentary on the legendary nightclub. We talk why Studio 54 co-creator Ian Schrager, you've heard that name many times if you've been to a hotel in Miami, why he broke his silence and is basically fessing up here on the documentary, why the magic of the club was never able to be replicated, and how Schrager himself overcame jail time to become a hotel magnet. Then I chat with a Star is Born actor, Anthony Ramos, who plays Lady Gaga's best friend in what many critics are calling the best movie of the year. We discuss what director Bradley Cooper saw in him, the madness of his time on Broadway's Hamilton, and after having already worked with giants Lin-Manuel Miranda and Lady Gaga, how he has managed to stay grounded and ambitious. We begin with... Matt Turnauer, and I'm the director of Studio 54. Why did you want to do this documentary, Studio 54? It's been done in a feature-length film. Uh, There's been so many stories about this in magazines and everything. Uh, I even believe that there's been, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that there's been other documentaries that done this, but why you, why did you need to tell the story and why did Ian Schrager out of nowhere decide that he needed to get this out of his system? Well, I think Studio 54 is one of those stories that people think they know, but they don't really know. Uh, That's because it has been told a lot uh, in the form of magazines, books. There's been a VH1 behind the music. Uh, There's never been a proper documentary, uh, but there was a feature film called 54 that was uh, so infamously disastrous that it has kind of stayed with a lot of people and uh, has become bizarrely definitive. But it's far from uh, an accurate telling of the story. Uh, Ian Schrager, who's the surviving co-founder of the club, Steve Rubell, who died of uh, complications from HIV-AIDS in 1989, um, wasn't able to tell his story. And uh, Schrager chose not to because it ended very badly for Rubell and Schrager. They went to prison for tax evasion, and uh, it was one of the great flameouts in uh, the history of New York. But it happens to be... um, 
uh, flame out after a spectacular rise and one of the most kind of mythic tales of the city. But because Schrager was willing to speak on completely and openly for the first time, I thought, well, this is really a very good story to tell. And documentary is the perfect way to tell it. So you were minding your own business one day on a Tuesday afternoon. And how did this whole thing get come together? Did you, did you, did you know Ian as a friend? Did an agent kind of hook you up? How, how, how did you come into that world? Uh, yeah, actually I knew Ian. Uh, I've known him for a long time. Uh, I met him, uh, in the nineties when I was, uh, editor-at-large for Vanity Fair magazine, and my first assignment was a feature on uh, Ian Schrager's new hotel, the Delano in Miami. I so remember I wrote that, a, yeah. Yeah, I wrote a piece about Ian and Philippe Stark, the architect of the hotel. Yeah. And he and I stayed in touch because we both have a uh, design and architecture obsession, so <laughs> we're always in touch over the years, and I, I kind of encountered him uh, a year or so ago and he was in the middle of doing a coffee table book about studio 54, which was a sign to me that he was willing to revisit this story and he wanted to tell it from his perspective. And uh, in a, just a casual conversation, he said to me, what well, do you think a documentary would be a good idea? Cause I'm doing this book. And I said, if you're willing to tell your story, honestly, I think a documentary is a great idea. And we, he said, okay. And uh, it happened that way. With having Ian Schrager there, was there any sense that you needed to tell the other side of the story? Because this is just Ian's point of view. You know, a lot of films or a lot of journalists want to be able to always tell two stories. Was there a second story that you left out that you didn't want to include? Or what was the the philosophical approach to this? Well, I, no, I think there are 2,000 stories that I didn't include. Um for many reasons, I, I, as terms of an other side of the story, uh, well, there's Rubel's side, but he's dead, and uh, people, including Ian, uh, help uh, flesh out the Steve Rubel part of the narrative, and he appears in archival film. Uh, but the prosecutor who uh, arrested uh, and and um, and eventually convicted Schrager and Rubel is in the movie a lot. So that's another side of the story. There are, there are multiple perspectives in the film. However, uh, the real kind of momentous thing about this project is that Schrager, who has been kind of the Greta Garbo of, of nightlife and <laughs> New York pop, pop history, was willing to talk. And um, it's a 90-minute film, so a lot of that, in my opinion, needs to be taken up with debriefing Ian Schrager on the thing he co-created. No one has done that before in, a, in anywhere near uh, a, a revealing way. So to not use that opportunity uh, would be, uh, I think, malpractice. Uh, if you want a million different perspectives on studio, there's a are, there are quite a few books out there that have um, more of a kind of prism uh, point of view. Do you now believe that this is the definitive Studio 54 documentary? I do because Schrager is never going to talk again. 
and uh, you can't really tell the story without one of the the principles. And uh, I think that you could do a multi-part series about studio that um, approaches it from every conceivable angle. It would take six or seven hours to tell that story. Kind of like a Netflix 13 episode or an HBO eight episode uh, special. Sure. Yeah, you could do that. Um, Is that something you're know. thinking about doing? No, no, not at all. I, I think if Ian wanted to participate in something like that, it could be uh, interesting, of course. But, uh, the, you know, this is a very particular beast. It's a 90-minute feature documentary in being released in movie theaters uh, in early October. And um, a 90-minute doc feature is its own kind of animal. So, um, but in terms of uh, its form, I think it's, uh, it's as definitive as you're going to get because of Ian's participation. Matt, why did Ian want to talk after so many years in silence about this? I think it's cathartic. I, you know, he was embarrassed by this. I, the world doesn't think of Studio 54 as something embarrassing. It, the, the image in general of Studio 54 is of this extraordinary moment, this era-defining place that everyone seems to want to experience or to get back to if they did experience it. Um, it has a kind of paradise lost feel to it, but it also has the allure of sex, drugs, celebrity, music. Um, so these are the things that, that myths are made of. Uh, Schrager had a different perspective on it. It was this worldwide success that he had at a very young age. Uh, he and Rubel acted shamefully and skimmed money and cheated the government out of taxes and um, you know, which he drug- denies that he supposedly did. He was like unaware of it, according to the documentary, that other people had done it without his knowledge or consent. But well, he- not, not exactly. He he admits to it, but he's he's specifically what you're referring to is a specific denial that he created a particular set of books that mm. um, the IRS got very upset about because they were uh, trying to deceive the IRS. But he admits to being guilty of this and to the point where he got a pardon from president Obama Mm -hmm. um, on the last day of the Obama administration. So by definition, he, he admits to guilt because he petitioned for a pardon. What um, is the magic of studio 54 that was created in that era that Ian himself has never been able to replicate and that no other club in the world has ever been able to replicate because from everyone that I've asked about Studio 54, what was that like? He goes, everyone tells me, when you walk in, you weren't a part of the world anymore. It was a different, it was like a parallel universe. And I'm trying to understand what that formula was because according to the documentary, it sounded like they didn't even know what they did to create that. It was all like a surprise to them. Yeah, I think a lot of it was very purposeful, but I think a lot of it was alchemy as well. I I, I think what, is best probably encapsulates it is that uh, it was a dictatorship on the outside and a democracy on the inside. So because of the door policy and the velvet rope and Steve Rubell's particular genius at curating the evening by hand selecting the people who were vying to get in and um, choosing either beautiful people or exciting people that he kind of cast 
uh, spontaneously on the sidewalk, uh, mixed with a profound effort to bring the, the, the men and women of the moment into the place. And then um, that kind of took on a life of its own. That was alchemy. Uh, it was social alchemy, really. And what it created in a permissive time, the late 70s, the club is, uh, when Rubel and Schrager had it, is April 77 to January of 1980, um, was uh, this kind of really kinetic, sexually charged, drug-fueled, um, party atmosphere in a very carefully designed environment that Schrager engineered. It was in an old theater on 54th Street that was kind of baroque in its in its shell, and then they rigged it to be a kind of uh, immersive experience, which people really didn't know about. No one had really experienced anything like that with the sound system and what at the time was a relatively novel form of dance music called disco. All of that came together uh, to form a really um, a heady uh, trip every night that um, wasn't uh, accessible to anyone. So you also have this kind of culture of scarcity around it. That was the alchemy that uh, created Studio. What did you learn that you didn't know going in about Ian Schrager and Studio 54? I wasn't quite aware of the exactly how out of nothing um, Rubel and Schrager made this thing. Uh, they were lower middle class Brooklyn kids, very ambitious, obviously quite smart or street smart. Uh, using everything they had at their disposal. Uh, they didn't have a lot of money when they started it. They had an idea. They wanted to kind of emulate the the disco culture that was sweeping Manhattan at that time. There was a lot of money to be made in nightlife. New York was uh, a hellhole at the moment. It was the, the low ebb of the uh, financial crisis that swept it in the 70s. But there was an incredible uh, mix of glamorous characters out and about in the city, even during this time. So it was a time of great contrasts. And they took advantage of this moment in a unique way. Their ambition, combined with their kind of uh, sense of uh, the zeitgeist, uh, their zeitgeist surfing, uh, was really impressive. And the way that they collaborated and completed each other, one Mr. Outside, Rubel, the public-facing social alchemist, people person, and the, the reclusive uh, um, kind of uh, uh, genius of Schrager, who was uh, an intuitive uh, designer, basically, an administrator of this club. But he's... Uh, almost like a, a misanthrope, but uh, mm -hmm. he didn't like people. Uh, this was just an incredible once in a generation, at least, uh, combination. My last question to you is uh, the following. Ian Schrager seems to have a Midas touch. Almost everything he touches seems to turn to gold. Um, this new generation knows Ian Schrager because of the hotels and how beautiful they are and how aesthetically designed. They almost seem unique, like they come in from a particular mind that no one else is able to, to tap into. 
Uh, from your perspective, from spending so much time with him, what do you attribute his success to, his skill set? What is his skill set? What is the gift that he was given? He has a uh, great aesthetic sensibility, but he also has a really powerful drive uh, and a lust for success and power. And I think he enjoys the financial success as well as kind of like a scorecard. Uh, and he's a, he's a visionary, really. He's sort of like the Steve Jobs of, uh, of nightclubs and the Steve Jobs of hotels. He took uh, an idea that existed and um, modified it uh, into and marketed it into something that was uh, define, redefining. So he did that with Studio in collaboration with Rubel and then uh, continued to do it in a second act that's almost unparalleled in the hotel business. He and Rubel invented the concept of the boutique hotel, which is a very powerful and pervasive worldwide phenomenon. And they, they really invented it uh, for our time. So he's... Very few people have two industries that they remade um, in 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 a single lifetime. So it's it's quite impressive, really. Uh, but it's a drive. He's got a lust to uh, to succeed and uh, be uh, as successful uh, as possible in his category. Matt Turnour is the director of Studio Fifty Four, which is in theaters out right now. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you. It's time for Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Puerto Rican actress Rosie Perez joins Margot Robbie in Birds of Prey. Hispanic director of the horror film Curse of La Llorona will be directing The Conjuring 3. Latino actor Arturo Castro is the latest to join Disney's live-action film Lady and the Tramp. Diego Boneta joins Mila Jovovich in Monster Hunter. And Chris Evans will officially no longer play Captain America. In TV news, FX hit show Mayans MC has been renewed for a second season. Damon Wayans says he's quitting Fox's Lethal Weapon. Netflix will be creating a TV series based on the Chronicles of Narnia. NBC's Manifest is one of the most watched shows on TV. Meg Ryan will be making a comeback in a comedy for NBC and HBO is developing an Asian American comedy. Switching over to music, Nicky Jam and world-renowned DJ and producer Steve Aoki team up for a new track called Haleo. Ex-Minuter and rock star Draco Rosa has released the lead single Tonight Tonight for his upcoming album Monte Sagrado. Daddy Yankee to receive an Icon Award at the 2018 Latin American Music Awards. And Will Smith, Mark Anthony, and Bad Bunny drop a music video for Está Rico, which you can catch on showbizcafe.com. And in digital and social media news, Apple is looking to enhance Apple Pencil with ultrasonic technology. Facebook extends account deletion grace period from 14 to 30 days. Instagram is testing the ability to share your precise location history with Facebook. And Amazon upgrades the Fire TV stick with 4K video and a new Alexa remote. Hey, is this a drag bar? Yeah, Papo, yeah, yeah, but, but look, we do this every Friday nights. Yo, it's crazy, it's so lit though. She used to work here as a server. But tonight, the only thing she's serving are some fabulous French live vocals. It's incredible to think that at the tender age of 26, Puerto Rican actor and singer Anthony Ramos has already worked with two of the most revered superstars in the world, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Lady Gaga. He tells me his experience weathering the pandemonium of Hamilton, 
the nervousness he still feels on stage and on set, and the single attribute he learned from Lady Gaga. Anthony Ramos, what's going on, man? How you doing, Jack? Good, bud. What's going doing? on, man? How's that? How's that bacon smelling, man? Right. <laughs> <laughs> good, man. Good, good. Yeah, that's funny. I am a New Yorker, born in Queens. I know you're born in Brooklyn, Bushwick. Uh, you're Puerto Rican. Oh, my... man. Yeah, where you from? Hold up. Where in Queens? I was born in Flushing. Oh, word. Okay, yeah. My aunt lived in Fresh Meadows for a long time, man. You know, I grew up in Bushwick. It, it's, it's great to have you on the show because for me, it's extremely important to hear Latino voices, man, that are going into the mainstream because for a long time there was this inferiority complex amongst many Latinos that we couldn't make it into the mainstream market where the white people used to be in. And uh, it just wasn't for us. We had to stay at Univision and Telemundo and anything that was Latino, that was for us because we didn't fit with, with, uh, with, the, with the larger yeah, scope of entertainment, with Hollywood, you know? And so to see you and- yeah, um, It's been tough out here for us. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. First of all, how did you get, how, why did you want to get into acting and how difficult was it for you as someone who was Hispanic, Puerto Rican descent to make it into this business? Yeah. I mean, it was tough. You know, I mean, it was, you know, I got into acting because, the you know, I was actually at one of my, there were two, two, there were three teachers in high school that really played a pivotal part in me and me getting into it and, and me really going for it. And, uh, you know, I was at one of, I was one of, one of those teachers, I was at her house yesterday. And I remember she was the teacher that, you know, she grabbed me after my first performance in the musical in high school. And she looked me right in the eye and she said, this is what you need to do for the rest of your life. You know I mean? It was like time stopped, you know? And, uh, and she was, uh, you know, she, she was a Shakespeare teacher at the time and, and, she taught a class called peer mediation and, and, you know, I didn't have, my grades weren't that good, but you know, her, her Shakespeare class was an honors class, but she just believed in me so much. She like mm -hmm. went to the Dean's office or the guidance council, or whoever it was doing the transcripts at the time. She said, yo, you need to put this kid in my class. He needs to be in my class. And, uh, you know, I just had teachers like that, you know, this, 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 um, I had another teacher named Sarah Steinweiss who, you know, I auditioned for uh, Thought of the Talent Show, and it was it was a musical in school, and and uh, she they gave me a lead part in the musical, and 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 I just decided to jump jump in and do it, and from that moment on, she she saw something in me, and she you know she paid for my application to the one college, wow, the one school that I auditioned for and applied for, and uh, she helped me with the essays, and I couldn't you know I got into the school, couldn't afford it. She gave my name to. A Jerry Seinfeld Scholarship Foundation, and uh, and they met me, and you know uh, I shared my story with them and how I grew up, to, you know, with my my mother and my two siblings and the projects, and you know, like, and I just basically said, you know, no pun intended, I just need somebody to give me a shot. <laughs> right. Give me a shot. And, uh, <laughs> you know, seriously, dude, and and you know, and, and next thing you know, you know, I get a call, you know a week later or something like hey we, we, you know we want to pay for your school for all four years holy cow immediately my life changed right there yeah dude yeah i mean i mean it was a my mom and i fell to the ground on our knees and we're praying and we're just thanking god man you know it was like instantly my life changed and then you know fast forward i'm singing in front of lynn and tommy kale and alex lackamore i'm not throwing away my shot you know what i'm saying i mean it was surreal 
honestly, you know, you can't, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't have written this. So what I'm hearing from you is that success is not something that's completely self-made. What I'm hearing from you is that you do need a mentor. You need a supporter, someone who believes in you to give you the resources to fulfill your own potential. 100%. It takes a village, man. You know, one of my good friends, this guy, Lemon Anderson, one of my boys, he's an amazing writer. Um, you know, he writes on, on Spice Show. On, on She's got to have it. And he always says to me, he's like, man, it takes a village. You know, he he, he has this saying, he says, a tribe, a tribe called blessed. <laughs> you know, and, you know, we're a tribe, man. It takes a tribe, it takes a village, man, to make some you know, to make something special happen. So, you know, I think, you know, for us to think that we can, we can walk through life alone and, and, and be okay is I think foolish of us, honestly. Tell me about your experience with breaking into Broadway for the very first time, because it's extremely, I've been going to Broadway shows for 15 years, man. And you don't see Latino faces on there for a particular reason. Uh, either they didn't believe that there was enough Latino talent that could handle the spotlight of Broadway, or it needed to to have a guy like Lin Manuel Miranda to sort of open the doors to showcase the incredible Latino talent that's out there that can not only handle Broadway but they can handle movies like A Star Is Born. Did you feel like you conquered a mountain? And then when you won the Tony, how was that experience? amplified with Hamilton and have you still been able to recover from that my first my first my first show on Broadway was was Hamilton you know I was 23 22 maybe turning 23 and it was it was uh it was a whirlwind I didn't you know I, I just I, I knew it was special I didn't know it was gonna explode the way it did but um you know I think I you know I think I just you know I I stepped on stage and and I definitely had a moment, especially, you know, I had a moment, I, I remember vividly, I was by myself on the stage and it, the, just the one light was on, everyone had left the theater already and I was one of the last ones to leave the theater. And I just looked out at the 1,300 empty seats and I was like, yo, I like, I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm on Broadway, man. And, and, uh, and it, you know, I think it was something, something special and powerful about that quiet moment that I had, you know I mean? The people were losing their minds off of you know for, for for the show and i mean it was it sounded like a rock concert every night man but it was something powerful and amazing about about uh about just being on the stage by myself with this one light on and uh you know and all of these empty seats and just looking out and and uh you know just thinking about all the people that came before me and you know all of, all the folks who who you know are still dying to have that opportunity and and you know, and, and, and yeah, man, I think, you know, as a Latino, man, it's, it's huge. I, I feel like, you know, we, we, we're definitely underrepresented in, in every part of the business. And uh, especially in the commercial, you know, in the commercial area, when it comes to big blockbuster movies and Broadway shows and, uh, you know, huge TV shows. I mean, and, and I think, uh, I think we have to just write it. You know, I think Lynn, Lynn didn't wait. He just said, I'm going to write it. I'm going to write this part for myself. I'm going to write, or I'm, you know, I'm going to write it for someone else. And then eventually he's like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I want to play the part now, actually. You know, I think we just have to make the art, man. And, 
uh, you know, we have the, the Latin story is something is compelling, and there's so many different stories. You know, no matter where you come from, Nicaragua, Colombia, like Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, like there's so many different. Uh, you know, there's so many different layers to the, the Latino story, and and we we just have to get out there, dude, and and write. You know, we don't have to. We, we I think we. I don't know if we've been waiting for the opportunity. I don't want to say that, but I think like. You know, I think uh, now more than ever, we have an opportunity because I think more people are listening now. More people want to, they want diversity and they want to know about, you know, other people's cultures and, and, and they want to know about, you know, the, the different races and how, how you know, you know, certain countries came about. And I think, you know, this is, this is a time right now where, where we have to, we have to pick up that mantle and, and write our stories and write our way into history, you know, in a, in a, I think we can write our way into history in a bigger way, uh, especially in Hollywood and, and, uh, and such, man. I think this is our time, man. We got to, you know, so I'm super excited to be Latino and in, uh, in the business right now. Amen, brother. Amen. So I wanted to talk to you also about um, stage fright, anxiety, nervousness, butterflies. You know, you had never been, most people have never experienced anything like Hamilton. I can only only even just imagine a a quarter of a fraction of what you had to go through because you know there's local tv reporters that are known here and there and that feels good you know oh somebody's recognized me that's great that's one person but when you can't walk out of a theater when you when you when when your whole family when all your friends change their perception of you how were you psychologically, were you prepared for that? And if you weren't prepared for that, how did you cope with it if you did at all? I don't know, man. You know, it doesn't it it get easier. You know, people are like, oh, do you still get nervous? I'm like, absolutely, 100%. Like, oh, does it, does it go away? I'm like, no, it doesn't go away. And, you know, you, you're about to get out there in front of a bunch of strangers and, you know, and pour it out, you know, you don't know what's going to come out every time, you know, you don't know, you know, you kind of just, and, you know, and, and then, you know, it just depends, man. And, you know, Hamilton was such a, you know, I'm Hamilton now, now star is born and, you know, and, and she's got to have it was, you know, did well on Netflix and it was just, you know, people around you start to change, circumstances around you start to change and you, you kind of have to adapt to that. Um, you know, at the same time, at the same time, try to keep, you know, keep, stay grounded on stage and stay grounded in your craft and what you're doing as a person. Is that hard to do to stay grounded? 100%, man. But, you know, I, I thank God for the people in my life, man, my family, my girl, my, you know, my friends, you know, they, they, they honestly, my faith in God, man. I mean, you know, all, all these things come you know every all of that comes into play man when it comes to just doing your best to to, to be your best you know what i mean like i said you know it's like i said before it takes a village you know you can't I, i'd be lying to you if i said you know i came up it's all me you know you know it's not you know I, as much as i as much as i love that song from drake i don't relate <laughs> I, it wasn't all me you know right you know it, it never will be you know so so let's talk about Star is Born now. Um, I had read an article in the New York Times about Bradley Cooper and how much of a perfectionist he was with this, you know. 
But there's a quote that says, perfection is the enemy of creation, that you're so, so paralyzed by being perfect that you never even take the step forward to create anything because you're too afraid that it just might come out average. Tell me about that atmosphere with Bradley Cooper and your role in particular. Were you trying to hit it out of the park? Were you trying to just be yourself? What did Bradley tell you? What did he like about you? Why did he cast you? What was it about you that he felt that needed to be a part of this? What everyone's talking about, one of the best, if not the best movie of the year so far. You know, honestly, I think Bradley Bradley just said to me, he's just like, dude, just be you, bro. Just make this guy, make this guy who you want to make him. And, you know, just start off, start with who you are and then work your way out from there, you know? And Bradley always says this thing that he, uh, you know, he cast what what he looked for really was was the eyes. He looked, you know, he looked at people's eyes, and he said there was something about each and every person, everyone's eyes in this cast uh, told a deeper story than uh, you know than 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 uh, than what was being told um, on the outside. And, and that was you know that was what I was looking for. You know, I was looking for I was just looking for honest people and. Uh, and that's that's that that was humbling, and that's an honor that he saw that in me. You know, I mean, I I can never fully tell you what he saw in me, but um, you know, that's definitely some that's definitely a question for 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 the man himself. But I'm so humbled that he uh, and honored that he he saw what he did in me. You know, and and you know, Ramon is 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 her her best friend. That's the guy that that's the guy that's with her when she is you know, $12 or, you know, $12 million. He's the dude that, you know, he's like, you know, like I said, he's the real one. He's day one. Uh, he's the one that, you know, knew her. I mean, he introduces them in the film. Yeah. Like, you need to see my friend sing. If anything, he, she owes her success to you. <laughs> right. You know, I was like, I mean, it's, but it's not even that. It's like, you just do it because you love, you love, your friend you love who you love man and you know when when you love people genuinely you just want to see them win you know so i think right. he that's that's who he is he's just he's just this guy that just wants to see his best friend win and uh and i was just you know it's it's, it's awesome to be able to play a guy like that you know because uh, i feel that way in my life and you know i've got friends in my life who you know again who just all they, they, they they've done their best to, to just, you know, they, they, anything, anything, a layup, even, you know, my home, one of my homeboys would be like, yo, hey, I just went in for this audition. My boy, Josh would be like, oh yeah, I just went in for this audition for this role. You got to get in for this role, bro. This role's so good, you know, for the same role he just went in for, <laughs> you know, he's like, I just want to see you win. Like, you know, that you're perfect for this. You know, if, if I don't get it, hopefully you do, you know, let's go. You know, and That's beautiful. That's, you know, those are the kind of people we need in our lives, man. So it's dope, man, to play play that character. Okay, so I have to ask: as soon as I saw you and Lady Gaga together, I had to say, did was were, were you tripping out, man, to be working with Lady Gaga and so closely for in so many scenes? I mean, she's a global superstar. Did you know? Did you know her beforehand? When you met, did you hit it off immediately? Was there chemistry? And how was it working with her? What did you learn from her that you didn't know as an actor and as a singer that she brought on to you? And did you grow from your experiences with her? Yeah, I didn't, you know, I mean, I was definitely uh, nervous for sure. Uh, 
you know, but uh, I, I didn't, I didn't know her from, I didn't know her from beforehand. I, you know, we had, we met on set, you know, and uh, we met at the reading and uh, we were supposed to hang out, but we couldn't make it happen. And then, you know, we, the next time we saw each other was on set and then it was like, okay, go, you know? And, uh, but you know, it was, it was super easy. You know, when somebody, you know, when, when anyone, you know, walks up to you, gives you a hug and they're like, so great, so happy you're here. You know, we knew it was going to be you and we're, you know, we're, we're just super, <laughs> so excited that you're here. It's like, oh, okay, great. You know, you're like, oh, let's go. Let's, let's do it. You know, it's, you know, I, I learned, I learned so much from her. I learned, you know, this, her work ethic is crazy. Her work ethic is just like beyond, um, her, her level of tenacity and, you know, just, just her inability to quit. It's, it's so, it's, it's something that, uh, it's something that I will forever remember and from working with her and, and seeing her work on set, you know, so, and, you know, she's a beast. She's just so talented. It's just like unfair. <laughs> so, good. so talented. She's about to become an EGOT soon, man. Um, because she is, I think she's the most talented person, I think, I think so. alive right now. I mean, and, and that's including Lynn Monroe Miranda. So you've had the privilege of off the bat working with Lynn Working with Lady Gaga, I mean, what is the future for you, man? Where do you see yourself having a foundation like this already? I mean, I know people say sky's the limit, but damn, bro. <laughs> Yo, that's hilarious. Um, I mean, you know, it's just, I just, you know, I, I don't, you know, I just want to keep doing stuff that I care about, you know. I, I don't, you know, if I got to wait six months to get it, then I'll wait six months. If I got to wait a year, you know. I'm okay with that, you know, just stack this money and hopefully and just, you know, wait it out, you know, but it's, it's, uh, I'm just, I just want to keep doing, uh, doing stuff I care about, man. And, and hopefully creating opportunities for the people in my life, uh, who I know to be some of the most talented people to, uh, to, to, to be able to use my platform to hopefully give them a platform. You know, I think that's, that's the dream really, right. It's like whole team winning like you know if i get on you get on you know and uh not because i'm trying to throw you a layup but because you're really talented and i think you know we're better together so it's you know i'm 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 just continuing to look for opportunities like that man i'm now i'm doing music and uh you know i'm writing getting in with some some of the most amazing producers and songwriters and that's been that's been awesome you know but my the end game really is for me is uh is to just keep expanding the squad and keep expanding the uh the tribe, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and kind of create my own army of Avengers, you know, uh, <laughs> I and, love that, you know, uh, and you know what I'm saying? And, 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 you know, do the, you know, write, write the, 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 the musical where you can put all your most talented friends in, you know, write the movie or produce the short film that, you know, your friend's doing or, you know, whatever it is, you know? So I think everything's a stepping stone to, to, uh, to grow so that's that's really all i'm trying to do that's all that's all i want to do really a star is born comes out in theaters this october 5th anthony ramos who plays ramon thank you so much for being on the podcast my brother thanks for having me jack so 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 much fun man treat me like you're patient just to keep me waiting 
that's it for episode 94 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Matt Ternauer and Anthony Ramos for coming on the show, and I hope you guys enjoyed the conversations as well. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by sharing us on social media and telling all your friends about it. Please tell all your friends about the show. You can also reach me on Twitter at JackRicoOfficial and Instagram at JackRico. Also, remember to tune in this Saturday morning, October 6th on NBC to catch the premiere episode of my brand new show, Consumer 101. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.